Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Independence Weekend. And I uh, appreciate y'all being here. Thankful you're here. And uh, grateful for those who are watching us uh, online as well. Thank you for being with us. And uh, just got back uh, from church camp. And I had a great time. Very encouraged. I want to thank y'all for allowing me to go. And I want to say this, that I am very encouraged about the present and the future with the young people that I was around all week, both high school and college age. I was very encouraged by that, and you should be as well. We hear a lot of negative things about that age group, but I was very much encouraged, and they heard God's word, and were very much challenged and encouraged this week by what happened at camp. And y'all need to tell Alex... Um, way to go, girl, because six months pregnant and 95-degree weather <laughs> and 100% humidity having to go all over the place all week, she did a great job, so very, very grateful. And Emma, our intern, and our uh, Deanna with the little kids on the other side of camp, they had a great week, so very grateful for those things. Well, it is uh, 4th of July tomorrow, and we've got a long weekend, and um, we're celebrating our freedom, our independence in this country. But I want to ask you a question. Are you thankful for your freedom and independence? It's okay to answer, you know, is that rhetorical or what is it? Yes, we are. We're very thankful for that. But do we really understand in our culture today what freedom and independence really mean? If a, a smaller kid asks you as uh, another older kid, as a, an adult, what is freedom? What would you say to them? If you had to maybe make a little talk or devotion tomorrow for your barbecue or your swim party or whatever you had to do, and somebody said, hey, will you just tell us what freedom means to you before we eat today? What would you stand up and say in front of all the people that were there? What words would you use to describe that? Well, I think about some of the things we complain about in this country, and I don't know about y'all, but I'm just thankful I didn't do anything to be blessed to be born in the United States. Did you? We just happen to be born in this country. That's a blessing in itself. But I think about some of the things we complain about right now about our rights. I came home from camp, and I didn't have much service there, which was a good thing, but I kind of got caught up really quick and go, oh, things are still going crazy in our country. But I think about us complaining about our rights right now, and I think, what does somebody like Mark and Sveta and others from the Ukraine think about us complaining about our rights right now after what they have been through and are going through? Think about someone who's trapped in human slavery right now when they hear us complain about our rights. Think about someone living in a communist country hearing us complain. I thought about uh, when we were in... Guatemala a couple weeks ago and we were building a house for a family and that was great but I go they still don't have a bathroom you know and I thought I hope they didn't overhear any of us talking about oh the supply chain has kept me from remodeling my bathroom back home isn't it awful I hope they didn't hear that but Tim Keller is a, a great writer was a, a minister for many years and and he writes this about freedom in our culture he says, freedom has come to be defined as the absence of any limitation or constraints on us. By this definition, the fewer boundaries we have on our choices and our actions, the freer we feel ourselves to be. So held in this form, I want to argue that the narrative has gone wrong and is doing damage. 
He goes on, modern freedom is the freedom of self-assertion. I am free if I may do whatever I want to do. But defining freedom this way is unworkable because of its impossibility. We need some kind of moral norms and constraints on our actions if we're to live together. And he goes on, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any kind of rules or constraints. But he says this, think of a fish, because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air. It is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put out on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even live is destroyed. The fish is not more free but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. And the same is true, he says, with airplanes and birds. If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of this world. And that's pretty wise, isn't it? We have been made in the image of God. We are, our identity is in our Creator and our Savior. And in order for us to live together, we have to understand that. But when we try to go outside of that and pretend there's not a Creator, as if we exist because we decided something, we're missing something very, very fundamental in our lives. When we think of the Fourth of July, we think of freedom and independence. Independence is defined in our culture by many as individuality and self-sufficiency, self-rule, autonomy. And those sound good because I'm in charge. And I think about when I was younger, it's like, man, if I could just get away from my parents, I would really be free. If I could just get rid of, get out of school and be away from teachers and rules and all that stuff, I would finally be free. But you know what? You never escape rules. You never escape some kind of accountability or laws. That's just a part of life if we're going to live together. So we've been going through the book of Acts of the Apostles in the Bible. And we've been looking at the different conversions there. And the factors involved in people turning from the life they once lived into this new life being a follower of Jesus Christ. And how that transcends or transforms every aspect of their new life. And that's a process, isn't it? When you've been living one way for so long and had a mindset of one way and all of a sudden your mind, and we learned this at camp about changing or renewing our heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you're all of a sudden asked to renew all of that and think differently and start following Jesus, there's a lot of things you have to process through in becoming that follower of Jesus. And it's not a uh, just turn a switch and everything changes. It's a process. So today we're going to look at uh, this freedom factor that came up in the early church. Um, if you haven't been here, that's okay, but we've been talking about these different conversion factors, and we talked about how important the factor of encouragement was last week and the church growing, and so Jesus, after he left, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he says, I'm giving you this commission to go into all the world, starting right here in Jerusalem, but then going from there to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the world, and I want you to share the good news of why I came, to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So there, it's happening, we've been reading about that in the book of Acts, and the people are going from Jerusalem, it's going into Samaria, and we're seeing all these churches are popping up. And uh, we are really glad this morning 
to have Tyler and Shailen Crawford with us from Germany. And they've been doing church work, spreading the gospel there. And they're going to share with us a little bit later in the service. So we're very glad to have you all with us this morning. So we're going to look at Acts 15. And this has actually happened, what Jesus asked them to do. The, the churches are starting. And we read um, about um, Cornelius and Peter coming together and how it took an act of God to get them to understand that actually all people were supposed to get the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that good news and let it transform their lives. And this was a process again. But in Acts 15, we're going to look at the first part. Now, this is a lot of verses, and y'all are going to go, holy cow, that's a lot of reading. But I want you to listen carefully that sometimes in our churches we have things that come in from the culture and we have to deal with those issues. We can't just pretend they're not happening. We're dealing with those right now, aren't we, in our culture? And it's coming into the church. And what should we think about those? How should we react to those things that are going on in our culture? Well, the same thing was happening in that first century. And 21, 20 centuries later, it's still going on. We have things we have to sit down and talk about and say, what does God want us to, how does God want us to respond to this? How should we respond to this? So listen as we read through Acts 15. We're going to go uh, verses 1 through 31. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as is written. And he reads from the Old Testament prophet Amos. After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So James goes on. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to, to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. 
Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings, we have heard that some of you went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You were to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Now, y'all still awake? Because that was a lot. All right? But this is an amazing story if you really think about it and, and how that culture had to take an issue that had the potential to be, really be damaging in the church and come together and say, how are we going to deal with this? What are we going to do about this? So many non-Jewish folks had heard the good news, Gentiles, about Jesus Christ. They were becoming followers. That was very obvious. But some people were teaching that you non-Jewish people need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, even to the fact that they were saying you couldn't be saved. And they're going, what? I thought all I had to do was have faith in what Jesus did for me, and I could have my life transformed. Isn't that right? Yes, but you can imagine that kind of legalism. So there were some of these Jewish Christians who didn't really understand relationship, but they understood religion. They were becoming legalists, and they were saying, you've got to become legalists like us and follow the rules. And they're like, what? We understood that there, the rules we can't possibly keep, that's why we need Jesus and His grace to save us. And so they had to deal with this issue. And you could see that Paul and Barnabas were very upset when they heard somebody was teaching this. Paul, as you know, as Saul, was a legalist. He will tell you, I was the chief of sinners. I was the chief Pharisee. I was the chief legalist. I lived, you know, and ate the law and following it and watching everybody and what they did. But then Jesus transformed me. And if he smelt of legalism, his blood boiled now. I don't ever want to go back to that old life of legalism. I want to be freed from that. And you're not going to enslave these new followers of Jesus with that. That's not relationship. That's religion. And Jesus offers relationship. So you can see in the midst of many people coming into a relationship with Christ, they had to deal with this tough thing. Now, as they talked about these issues, you realize that James and Peter, Peter talked... And then uh, obviously um, uh, uh, Barnabas and, and Paul talked and then James talked. But listen to what Peter said. He basically addressed the group and he said, Understand this, God made the decision, not us, but God made the decision for the, dis, uh, uh, for the Gentiles to hear the good news of Jesus and believe. God, who really knows the heart, we don't know people's hearts, but God does. He showed the Gentiles were accepted by giving the Holy Spirit just like we received it. In the same way we received it on the day of Pentecost, they received it at Cornelius' house. We've seen it going on all over. It's obvious God is in this. Then he said God purified their hearts through their faith, not through following a bunch of rules. And then he said no one should test God by putting a yoke 
or a burden on another human that no human can bear. They all realize, you remember all those laws we always tried to keep and we couldn't? And we always felt guilt and shame about not keeping the laws and we had to go offer a sacrifice all the time and we constantly felt this? No one can keep up with that. So why are we taking those rules and those burdens and putting them on these new Jesus followers? And then he says, we are all, all of us are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. And then Barnabas and Paul talked and they told about all these things that they saw happening in these Gentile cities and that people are turning to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing and God is moving and working. So let's not stop this. Let's not create disunity. And then James, who many of you may know, was actually the brother of Jesus, is a leader in the Jerusalem church. Y'all, he didn't always believe his brother was really the son of God. But after the resurrection, he believed and it transformed his life. And he's a leader now. And he reads from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant scripture from Amos and says, this is something God has planned from the very beginning, y'all. He was going to restore Israel, but he's also going to restore the Gentiles. It's going to be rebuilt, restored in the way that God always intended to receive everybody in the world would receive God's salvation. And he said this statement, We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Why make it hard? And this is a statement we should learn from today in our 21st century and culture. We should not make it difficult for unchurched or unbelievers to come to Jesus. We shouldn't do that, y'all. And we need to hear that loud and clear. And so after that, James says, you've heard what they've said. And they're right, so let's make a decision and let's get the message to these people that whoever is saying all that legalistic stuff, that's not what they need to do. But they need to follow these four things. You go, well, there you go. There's rules again. Now, probably some of y'all are going, what the heck? What is all this meat, sacrifice to idols, blood, uh, animal strangle? What is all that? Sounds like they're uh, in a cult. Sounds like they're vampires or something. Well, man... They are coming, most of the Gentiles are coming out of religions that did this kind of stuff during worship. When they came to worship, they weren't singing praise songs. They had girls on stage, they had guys on stage, and there was sexual stuff going on during the worship service. They were sacrificing animals, people were drinking blood. It was crazy. And so when that stuff has been a part of your worship for most of your life, you got to leave that old life behind, don't you? You've got to get away from that. So they're saying, y'all, you've got to understand, there's got to be some things we as the Jews need to do. We need to stop being legalists. And we've got to stop making it difficult for you. But you guys got to understand, you're coming from a dark past. And you need to leave that past behind. Don't try to bring that in to the church, that kind of worship into the church of Christ. We can't have that. So that's why those things, you think, man, that was some weird stuff. Well, yeah, but that's where they were coming from. So both groups... We're getting together now and worshiping together. And then they were having fellowship meals together. And you can imagine there was some food there. And they were like, the Jews were horrified at what they were eating and drinking. And so this was causing some issues. And people had to say, wait a minute. I've got to realize that I've got brothers and sisters that are at a different place in their walk with God than I am. And I need to be aware of that so I don't cause them to stumble. And so they understood that there were some things that needed to change. So they seemed to all agree um, upon what they were going to ask this group to do and what they were going to do. No circumcision or following all the laws of Moses, but these four things need to be given up and moved out of your life. But what if the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem had said this? 
look, no religious leader, no one's going to tell me that I have to have fellowship with those Gentiles. They either practice what we do or they are not welcome and they're not really saved. Can you imagine if that was their attitude? Boy, that would have really helped with the unity of the church, wouldn't it? And it sounds like there were some of those people mixed in. But that wouldn't have brought freedom. That wouldn't have brought unity. So they put this proposal in a letter. And you noticed in verse 31 when they took it. And notice that they sent Paul and Barnabas, who these Gentile churches already knew. Because these guys have been with us. They've introduced us to Jesus. They've been living with us. They've been among us. They have showed us that they're all in with us. And they've lived among us. They've eaten with us. They understand us. They have authenticity with us so we can trust. So we're going to send them, but we're also going to send a couple of guys from the church at Jerusalem so you know that they didn't just write this letter to try to make you feel good. No, what's in this letter is from these guys in Jerusalem and from the people you already know and trust. Isn't that interesting? They said, we want this to be unified. We want you to know that this is really what we want to see happening in the church. So they sent them. And you notice what happened when they read it. It says in verse 31, When the Gentiles in Antioch read it, they were glad for its encouraging message. No one was mad. Everybody goes, oh, thankful. They, they realized that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because, man, I was like, I ain't getting circumcised. I ain't following all those rules. I don't know how I can do that. But they got it and they were glad. But what if, what if those folks read the letter and, and met these people from Jerusalem and said, let me tell you something. No Jewish religious leader has the right to tell me what I can eat and what I can put into my body. It's none of your business. It's my life. I'll do what I want. I don't care what that letter says or what the people in Jerusalem said. Well, that would have helped unity, wouldn't it? But they didn't. They said they were glad for it. Now, do you see how both groups were willing to use their freedom and their independence, not in a selfish, self-centered manner where it's all about me and my rights, And that they didn't want to make things difficult for the other group. And they said, I'm willing to do that because this matters. This unity matters. So both had some things they were now going to be held accountable for moving forward. So to bring this into perspective into our 21st century world, think about what's been happening in our nature, I mean in our nation recently. Two major issues have come upon our lawmakers and have to do with personal or individual rights. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I get back from camp and I'm looking at the headlines. I'm like, holy cow, this stuff isn't slowing down. People are still at it. But here's what what we hear from people. No one, especially the government, should have the right to tell me what I can do with my body. Does that sound familiar? Now, just in case you think you know where I am politically, let me offend the other people too, okay? No one, especially the government, should have the right to tell me what I can do with my gun. So, hope everybody's offended, all right? When I think about those two issues and our reactions and how decisions concerning both of those issues and subjects have literally, y'all, literally resulted in millions of deaths. Do y'all realize that? Millions of people have died Because of those two issues and how we feel about them. And I feel this deep sense of loss and sadness that people that were created in the image of God for a purpose and a plan that God created them for are now dead because of our decisions about our rights. Man, it's sad. 
when we think about that. Sadness that somewhere we have completely misunderstood what true freedom means, what independence means, and how it is so much more than an individual or a personal right. Tomorrow we will celebrate 246 years of our freedom and independence from the oppressive rule of Great Britain. Now Jesus did not specifically, that I can find in the Gospels, anywhere speak specifically about abortion rights or gun rights. But I feel confident that if Jesus walked in here this morning and he came on this stage and he told us what we should know about those two issues, we would all, like we are when we read the gospel, go, wow, he just turned that whole thing upside down and we would be going, he's right. He's right. And it would astound us in our thinking and our viewpoint. And some of us would embrace it and say, he's right. But some people would still say, what does Jesus know about having to be pregnant with an unwanted baby? What does he know? What will he ever know about that? What will Jesus ever know about carrying a gun and having somebody threaten your life? What will Jesus ever know about this? And you know what? Some people would be angry at Jesus to the point that they would not only reject what he would say about those issues, they would reject him to the point that they would want to kill him. You go, Craig, come on, man. It's 21st century. We don't want to kill people, do we? We would have killed Jesus today. If Jesus came in our time, we would have killed Jesus today because he didn't see things the way we did. I like to pretend, oh, not me. But somebody would have, wouldn't they? So what have we done with that freedom and independence? Jesus did better than just say something to astound us, though, in his word. He showed us something. He took his rights and freedoms and laid them down, like Paul said to the Philippian church, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then God raised him out of that death to give me and you and the whole world new life and freedom and eternal life in and with him. Not all about ourselves. But what have we done with that freedom? What have we done with that independence that God, that Jesus gave us through his life, death, and resurrection? Have we allowed it to become a personal freedom? Freedom that has become defined as the absence of any limitation or any constraints on us. Or do we realize, as Paul said to the Galatian church, it is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Man, when I'm reading all these news things, do you not see people that are just enslaved and changed because they're so angry that someone doesn't feel the same way about my right as I do? Like, holy cow. And these are important things, y'all. Please don't hear me say they're not important things. They're important. But Paul goes on to the Galatian Christians. You, as my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know what the answer is to all that's going on. Actually, I do. It's Jesus. Oh, that's what you're supposed to say as a preacher. But man, again, he didn't just say this stuff, y'all. He died for us. 
He laid down his rights. He laid down his freedom. He laid down his independence so that we could truly be free. And we need to experience that. And we need to show in our lives to other people who were so enslaved that, man, why does this stuff not bother you? Because, man, I've been set free. I've been set free. And so maybe there's someone here today that is ready to really be set free by naming Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've held on to your rights or your legalism or your uh, whatever it is so tightly that you've not become free. You've become a slave and you're bitter and you're angry and you're just so uptight. And Jesus wants to set you free. And he died and he rose again so that you can truly experience that life-changing freedom. But you have to surrender to him. You've got to let go of this other stuff. And say, I don't need my worldview. I need your worldview, Lord. You're the creator. You're the savior. You know how to look at things from a perspective that I don't understand. Give me that perspective. Give me that worldview. So we're going to offer an invitation as we always do. There's somebody here today that needs to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want to invite you at this time to come. Our, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. Y'all, and we are not perfect. You know what? We have issues that we have to get in with our leader sometimes. and go, man, what are we going to do about this? And we pray about it and we look to Scripture and say, you know, if it's up to me and my wisdom and my thoughts, I'm going to screw this up and I'm going to be selfish and do it Craig's way. So I need to look at what God says in His Word. How should we do this? How has He worked through history? How has He worked through people in the Bible? How can we work through these issues? And it's not, again, a, a switch that we flip and go, oh yeah, I got that one figured out. No, it's a process and we have to walk through this and love people through this. So if you're looking for a church home like that that's committed to a biblical, godly worldview, that's who we try to be here. So I'm going to ask you all to stand at this time. We're going to sing along with the band. And if you're here for the first time, we take communion every week and we use this time not only for a decision time that someone might have, but if you have a... Uh, uh, something you need to pray about, you can come up here and pray by yourself or I'll be here, I'll be glad to pray with you. Uh, but we also take communion every week because Jesus asked us to remember what he did to give us freedom. And so we take a little piece of bread that reminds us of his body that was nailed to the cross and a little cup of juice that reminds us of his blood. And if you didn't get one of those packets when you came in, we invite you during the song to walk out there and grab one. And we're going to do that a little bit later after this song together. As, as the body of Christ. So we're going to be led in a song. And if you have a decision, we ask you to come forward. If not, let's just meditate on that freedom that Christ gave us through his life, death, and resurrection. <clears throat>